Okay, last week, um, Glenn spoke to us about a really big distortion in life. The idea that Satan doesn't exist. Uh, a distortion he likes to have spread around and to hide in the shadows. And this week, I thought we'd go back and look at perhaps the original distortion. Because as disciples, we need to be challenging the distortions that there are out there in society. And uh, this first distortion is a big one. The deception in the garden. So Satan deceived Adam and Eve in the garden and led them down a path of disobedience. Sin meant distortion. The beautiful, the wonderful creation was now distorted. Distortion of the relationship of love and obedience to God. Distortion, yes, of the creation, but also distortion of what it meant to be a person. People were given authority over all things in creation, except one, themselves. They were meant to be under the authority of their God. But in an attempt to be gods themselves, knowing all things, people lost all contact with real purpose. We're no longer reasonable caretakers of creation. Instead, we're self-serving, self-centred, selfish rulers of a creation that's out of balance. And creation groans under the curse of sin and the distorted stewardship that we now display. So when I'm talking about the original distortion, I'm talking about us, the distorted image of God. We are the distortion in God's plan. But still, all things belong to King Jesus. One of my heroes in Christian education is Abraham Kuyper. <coughs> Kuyper was a pastor, a theologian, and a prime minister of the Netherlands. Uh, and one of his most famous quotes is up there. There is not one square inch in all creation over which Christ who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. All of creation belongs to King Jesus and he wants it back. Back, that is, on his terms. Jesus died to redeem people. But more than that, he died to redeem all things in creation. He wants all things reconciled to himself, all things fixed up, all things restored. So there is a link between being a disciple and reconciliation. If Jesus is Lord over all, if he claims everything in all creation as his, 
then he is a sovereign who needs to be reconciled to. Do we dare create our own agendas, live and work as if we are in control, or fail to give him the glory for all that he is and all that he does? We need to recognise Jesus as king. After all, everything, including you and me, everything was created through him, by him, and for him. And he wants humans to return to being human. No longer the distortion. And what does that mean? It means being like him. The ultimate expression of being a mammal. And Jesus claims us as his. He claims you and me as his. So what are we doing with that claim? Perhaps it's the message of reconciliation that lies at the very heart of who we are and what we're called to do. Reconciliation is the inspiration behind what each of us has sought to do in and through our fellowship. We're not totally transformed yet, as if God's work is complete. We are transforming. We are being transformed. We're moving away from the distortion back to God's purpose. And so as transforming people, we love, guide and nurture others to consider the challenge of lifelong transformation themselves. We have a goal as a distorted image of God and that is firstly to be reconciled to God. And God's people seem to understand the need for reconciliation. We recognise that we have wronged God and our relationship needs repair. And even just a glance over God's word and God's story helps us know what we ought to be and do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And this exhortation appears in both the Old and New Testaments. It's pretty forthright, isn't it? Reconciliation is not an option. No, reconciliation is a given. Love the Lord your God with everything. And so our response to reconciliation is all about thankfulness. If we understand the truth that God demands our all, if we're prompted by the Holy Spirit and develop the will to act on this truth, then we pursue reconciliation. And if we truly wrestle with the gospel, and if we understand our plight outside of the gospel, then we fall at God's feet in thankfulness of our rescue. We confess our stupidity and respond to God's actions in reconciling us to himself. 
we're amazed that we are loved in spite of continually tripping up. In fear, in reverence, in love, in thankfulness, in delight, we pursue and enjoy the benefits of reconciliation. We find grace. We experience grace. We trade everything in for grace. We reconcile with God because we want to be restored to that position of faithful steward, faithful human. But there's a second part to that verse about loving God. It goes on to say, love your neighbour as yourself. We know how to lovingly fall at the feet of Jesus, seeking mercy. But with our neighbour, our commitment to reconciliation doesn't seem as strong. Reconciliation with one another is perhaps not as much a priority sometimes. And open wounds in relationships can lead to ongoing sadness. In 2 Corinthians, Paul reminds us that there is a sadness that leads to repentance. He says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Worldly sorrow does not lead to repentance. It stumbles on self-justification. And it makes reconciliation very hard when there's no admittance of wrong. Instead, there is blame, avoidance, refusing to contemplate a log in our own eye. We break fellowship because we know best. But isn't this just the same sin of Adam and Eve? We are kings and queens and determine what is right and what is wrong. We are judge and jury and our opinion is what matters. It's tough living in a distorted way because we don't see things as they are. Reconciliation begins. Reconciliation with one another begins when I'm convicted that I have wronged a brother or a sister and reach out to them. And this is vitally important because God says, be one, be united with one another. We've just finished a series on John. In John 17, we read Jesus' prayer for his followers, and he says he wants to see unity in his followers, a oneness that reflects the unity of the Godhead. The Trinity is united, and believers need to be too. The opposite of unity is division. 
United, we are far more effective in sharing the gospel and speaking into our culture. We need to be united so that our influence in our part of the world is effective. We are to work on relationships. Satan wants to divide and scatter as he did in the beginning. Jesus wants to gather together and build. Jesus wants to reconcile. Be reconciled to God. Well, to truly be his representatives on earth. To reflect his nature, his mission, we need to be reconciled to one another as well. And we need to be reconciled to who we are. We are died for people. So what will our actions and our relationships look like as a result of that? The grace poured out on us. How does that impact on our relationships? What is our identity? On what does our sense of belonging truly rest? If we understand that we're died for people, then our priorities are shaped by the biblical story. We are not just here for ourselves. We turn our back on the distortion and we strive to honour and serve the Creator. I love Paul's words in Colossians 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, right, be who you are, He's saying, be who you are. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So it's not all about me. Our relationships are not our own. They belong to God and are to be used for his purposes. We cannot allow ourselves to have an owner's view of our relationships as if they exist for our happiness. This is part of the human distortion. No, there is something big and important being said here about us and our relationships. And the first thing I think that Paul's getting at is that we're not wired to live in isolation. Independent, self-focused living never goes anywhere good. Our walk with God is a community project. We are not designed to live the Christian life on our own. 
And the reason God calls us to a high level of quality relationships is because relationships are an irreplaceable tool in his redemptive hands. He's using us and our relationships to bring about his purposes. So we get back to what is it to be a person? Paul also talks to us in this passage about our identity. Where did Paul get all these character traits, this list he puts together? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. Well, these are traits of Jesus. Paul is figuratively telling us to be human, truly human, put on Christ. Leaving the distortion of the first Adam and being like the second Adam, Jesus, who restores humanity and shows us God's intention for people. This is how we see true reconciliation. Reconciliation with what it means to be human. Reconciliation with the creation that we are within. It's all about being the people God always intended us to be. Caring for one another, caring for creation with Christ-like love and devotion. And we confront humanity's distortion by representing Jesus in all we do and in all we say. Sounds easy, doesn't it? And it'll be beautiful in the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth. But we are working for that and towards that now in who we are and what we do. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so mindful that um, in what Adam and Eve did, we were um, just born into a distorted image of what you wanted. We are so thankful that through your grace and your mercy, you are making a new creation in each one of us. And as we travel in the, the different contexts that are a part of our journey each week, we pray that you will continue to strengthen and encourage us to seek you, to ask what would Jesus do, and to take each step forward in an understanding that we are your ambassador in the unique place that you've put us in. Send us with grace. Send us with love and compassion and understanding that there will be a difference in that little part of the world that you put us in. And we thank you that you promise that wherever we step, you are with us at all times. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.